Praise the Lord. Let's move on to the word now. Let's take a moment. Let's pray over the word. Father, we are so grateful for you and your word, that your word is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to change us and rearrange our lives. Father, we look to you as the guard and the guide of our lives, that in you we live and move and have our being. Father, that we stay attached and inseparable for you and your will for our life. And we give you the praise that the word today is heard with accuracy, with power, in right spirit and demonstration that you rule and reign in this service today. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you will, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2 today. And last week we talked about um, a little bit about the Christmas story, you know, as told in Luke chapter 2. And so today we're going to do a little bit of the end of the Christmas hoopla, maybe. I don't know. Christmas is all year, right? Amen. All right. So Matthew chapter 2, you know, if Christmas all year, I mean, you can have birthday all year. Praise the Lord. Okay. Never mind. I just think people that have a birthday that close to Jesus' birthday are special. Amen. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So what we have here is we have the... Flight of the Magi is what the, um, the actual word is. And these are wise men, not wise guys, wise men from the east. And they've come to Jerusalem to worship him. Now, um, these, these uh, uh, kings, we see a lot of times in our nativity sets that there's three of them. We don't know that that's accurate because it doesn't tell us there's three. It tells us there's three different gifts in particular, but even that might be open from debate from others that say there is a, a bountiful amount of gifts given and that just three are mentioned. So we don't really know how many there are, but what there is a few things we do know. For one thing, they came from the east. Now, east of Israel, most um, historians believe that these men came out of Babylon. They came out of the east, came out of Babylon. And so what happened in Babylon was this is where many of the Jewish people were exiled during the time of Daniel. And so they believed that these men were aware of the signs and the times because Daniel had interpreted scripture and dreams and passed it down from generation to generation. So they believe historically that these men were interested in this because of what Daniel had seeded centuries before into the wise people in Babylon. In fact, they say that Daniel would have been considered one of these wise men. Now, these were what they call magi, and we need to understand the thing about the magi is the magi were not just common men with wealth in their pockets. But these wise men, these magi, were very wealthy, but they also were a spiritual people, and they were a scientifically studied. They had scientific studies, and they specially studied dreams and stars is what they tell us. So with this, that would make sense why God would use a star to lead and guide these men. But these men were very, very powerful men. 
In fact, um, history tells us that at one time they went to Nero, who was extremely corrupt, and when they went to Nero, Nero basically bowed to them in their wishes and plans because they called these wise men historically the king makers, meaning they had more authority and power than kings themselves. And this would explain why Herod becomes interested in them. History also teaches us, you know, if you look in the writings of Josephus, who is the biblical historian, that at one time they removed Herod from position and then put him back in. So he's going to be very, very pliable to these kingmaker's wishes. And so these people, these men come from the east and they said this, we've got one mission. We've heard there's a king of kings that was born. And we know the story of this one and we've come to worship him. Now, the other thing about Herod is he's very much a person hungry for power and position. This is the type of person he was. So the thought of there being another king in his country that others are wanting to worship sends him over the top. All right? That's why in verse 3 it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now we understand that when it said that they came saying, Where is he? When these magi came saying, Where is he? It doesn't mean that they just said, where's he at? It means there was an earnest pursuit that they were going, where's he at? Where's he at? Where is he at? Where is this king? Where is this king? Causing enough stir in the area that people were aware that they were in pursuit of another king. And when Herod hears this and the other people hear this, they all become concerned. Why is it? Because Herod was a ruler with tyranny. Meaning if he was, his kingdom was threatened, he believed in execution. In fact, they tell us that Herod himself had executed three of his sons and his own wife because he was threatened that they were going to take his throne from him. So he knows no limits to what he will do to remain and stay in power. And that's why all the people in Jerusalem are concerned because they know Herod has heard there's another king. What is he going to do to us? Okay, and so in verse 4, he gathers, Herod gathers the chief priests and scribes of the people and inquires of them where the Christ was to be born. So they say to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. So what happens is Herod asks somebody that knows where is he to be born at so that he has a piece of information to give the Magi that they will validate his position, okay? So Herod then, after he gets this information, secretly calls the wise men and determines from them what time the star appears. I'll give you where if you give me when, is what he's saying. And he tells them then that it's in Bethlehem. So he sends them to Bethlehem and says, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Not the right thing, okay? He's telling a fib here in case you didn't get it. Because we see later on in scripture, that was not the intention of Herod. 
He had no intention of worshiping Jesus. He just wanted to find out where is he at because I want to put an end to another king. Hallelujah. So they hear the, what the king says and depart. And then the star, which they'd seen in the east, goes before them. So there is direction, there is leadership, there is guidance for them from the stars, from the father himself, till it comes and stands over where the young child is. Now, if you read farther in Matthew chapter 2, and Herod becomes outraged that the, the wise men don't come back and give him the information that they want. And so what he does is he begins to kill babies determined by the time that the Magi told him. And that time frame is two years. So what we know about this is these wise men have been journeying for approximately two years looking for this child. For two years, they've been looking for this child, okay? And it says in verse 11, when the, uh, verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So for two years, they've been following this star. And then what happens is the star stops over the place the child is, okay? And then in verse 11, they come into the house. They saw the young child. Not the baby, the young child with Mary. This word young child in the Greek means a toddler, not an infant, a toddler. With Mary, his mother, and they fall down and worship him, and they open their treasures. They present gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then what happens? They're warned in a dream. Don't go back to Herod. Go, to a different, go through a different way, okay? So, um, and we have other stories about Herod, how he wanted to kill the child. But so this star stands over the house. Now, when we looked over in Luke chapter two, we saw that Jesus was born in a stable or in a cave. He was in a manger. Then we see that the days of his circumcision, eight days after is done, we see the days of your purification are done. And then it says they go back to Nazareth to their own home. So more than likely, because it says they come into a house, they're not coming into a stable. More than likely, this is about two years later. And these magi are finding Jesus as a toddler in his own home. And they come into this house and open up these gifts. They put out their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this is not an unusual happening when they know a king is to be born. This is not something unusual that gifts are brought to them. You know, when, um, when there's a legacy of royalty, there's always gifts given at the time of the birth of the next king. It may not mean he's king now, but he's going to be king. You see that in other countries when they have uh, a monarchy where when a child is born, it's eventually going to be king. They specially honor him. And they open these treasures to him, present gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, we know that um, according to history that they say the, the level of the kingship would determine the value of the gifts. And it's believed that a low-level king which we know they didn't think of this one as a low-level king. They didn't think Jesus as just a common king, but he was going to be the king of kings. 
Hallelujah. They knew that about him because of the capitalization they used in the, in the original text. They knew this was going to be a king beyond all other kings. And those that were just common kings, the level of gold they would bring is in today's value about $5 million worth. That was a low-level king would get about $5 million worth of gold. Now, frankincense, um, frankincense was a special aromatic um, incense that was used in temple worship. And frankincense back then, they even considered it more valuable than gold, okay? Because it was exclusively used in those holy places. And then we have myrrh, which myrrh was a fine-scented uh, spice that was used in burials. So we have here that they have brought gifts. And these three gifts are a gift for a king, a gift for a priest, and a gift for burial, which would cause us to understand exactly the prophetic insight that they are doing in their gifts. Jesus is a king, but Jesus is our high priest, and Jesus was born to die. Okay, so they have these gifts, but now I want to think us to think about this a little bit. These wise men, for years, two years at least, have been journeying looking for this child. They're coming with this entourage, and most people agree it's a caravan. It's not three men walking, going across the desert on a camel. Okay, there's an entourage, a caravan. Because of the volume of the gifts, they've got to have protection from people that would raid them. They're going to have to eat. They've probably got a chef along. Even a chuck wagon had a chef, you know. You know, they've got a whole entourage of people with them, okay? And they come to this house because the star has stopped there. So these men have given up everything in their lives for at least two years for a particular God-given assignment. And this, this wealth and all the symbolism of this was necessary for the life of Christ. Isn't it interesting? Jesus had to have a treasurer for his ministry. And that didn't just come from people donating fishes and loaves. You understand what I mean? There was a volume there that he would need a treasury. Incidentally, one of the things in the historical facts is that history records that Mary, his mother, becomes a very wealthy woman after Joseph is gone. And um, what this tells us, though, is also the fact that Mary had an uncle that became a caretaker of her wealth and that uncle's name was Joseph of Arimathea, which that name might sound familiar because that's the one that had the tomb, the brand new tomb for Jesus' body to be laid in after his crucifixion. So there we have it, that he became the caretaker of finance and used it for her and her family. So it's all important. Isn't it interesting how God met the need before the need arose? Amen. So we see that these magi have given all this time, 
This energy, it's not a pleasant. Okay, to go from nation to nation today, we get on a plane and get there. These people are traveling on foot through whatever weather conditions, through whatever situation, following something in the sky. Okay? It's interesting that the children of Israel had to follow something in the sky to get them to the promised land. And once again, God uses the signs of the skies to get them to the promised one. But we travel, they're traveling this. They're giving everything they've got. So what this tells me about these magi is God is the center and the core of their life. They've got an assignment. They've got a task. They've got a project but it is affecting everything else in their life. It's affecting everything. It's affecting who they're going to be with. It's affecting where they're going to go. It's going to affect the calendar of their life. It's going to affect the finance of their life. It's going to affect everything about their life because they are God-centered on a particular mission in life. Amen? So we could say it like this. If their life was a wagon wheel. Okay, kind of cool, ain't it? yippee tie yai. I think it brought the chuck wagon thing out of me for a moment. Amy, thou shalt not covet my wheel. Okay. Anyway, so what happens is their life was like this wheel moving along, but the one thing about the wheel because there was different aspects of it. When a wheel moves, the very center doesn't. The very center doesn't move, even though the wheel moves. And what this tells me is the only thing in my life that won't need to be changed and doesn't have to shift and move is God. That's the only unchangeable any of us have in our life. There is no need for God to change. Amen? So what that tells me then is God is going to have to be at the center of my life just like it was for the Magi. And I've got lots of elements in life. Thank you, Juan. Do you want to come help me? Which one of you guys do? Juan? We have lots of elements in our life. Do you want to hold the wagon wheel up? So you might want to back up a little bit so people can see. So you have lots of elements in your life, you know, and we have lots of things in our, that go on in our life. So we have, some of us have marriage or in pursuit of marriage. So what happens then if God is the unchanging thing, this sometimes has to shift and move to get better, not to get worse. So what happens is the elements of our life become the spokes on the wheel, okay? So we have our marriage, maybe. We have a future. What's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next year? We have um, a concern, maybe, about our dreams and goals, okay? All of these things are spokes on our wheel because this whole wheel is our world. We have a work life. We have to go to work. Hallelujah. Some want to take that spoke out. Sorry. Amen. Hallelujah. Some of us have kids. They're a spoke in our life. They're a piece of our life. Okay. We have children. 
Okay? We all have health and well-being. How is our health and well-being? Another spoke in our life. Okay? We have um, the uh, situation of government. Government affects all of us. It's another spoke of everybody's life. Hallelujah. We have finances. We have money that we have to deal with, figure out how we get more, how we spend less, what are we going to do, what's tomorrow look financially. We have all of these things that are spokes in our world, pieces in our world. We have um, this one right here. Some might be concerned about this, retirement. What am I going to do about my retirement? Am I going to retire? Am I going to have enough money to retire? What am I going to do when I'm retired? And depending how, how old you are, it may not just be retirement, but your legacy. How are people going to remember me? Am I going to leave anything in the earth that's going to make the earth a better place? So some people have their legacy to be concerned about. All right. Here's another one. Entertainment. We all have entertainment in our life. What do we do for fun? Okay. So that's a part of our life. And it's not just exclusively these, but there's, and, but there's others too, I'm sure. Church life. It has to be a part of our life. So then you got the middle. I'm going to turn it. So then what happens, all of these pieces are part of our life, but this has to be the constant that never changes. And God will deal with us and say, you know what? You're not doing entertainment right. Or you're not handling your money right. And he'll bring something to the top for us to work on. And this will keep moving and keep moving, but God never has to change. It's interesting to me how much we want God to move, yet he's unchangeable. Okay? So these things just keep brought, brought up. Now the Magi were walking and living every spoke was connected to the purpose, find that Christ child. Everything else was around that purpose, the plan of God. And all of these things were moving. Now, you want to set it down one, I think. Hallelujah. The interesting thing is, is at any one time, perfect, any of us can take one element out and take it away from the hub that never changes and make it, a single spoke not attached. Any of us can take one thing out and make it a single spoke and it not even be attached to God, the center or the core. So how do we tell if it's attached that God is the unchanging center? Well, for one thing, this is what we have to understand. The core is the core as long as it can influence every spoke. When the spoke is trying to influence the core, that's not the core. The spoke is the core. But if the core can lead and guide, then it has a place. See, it's not about us influencing God. If we're going to be rightly attached, how much influence does God have in all these areas of our life? See, the influence has to flow out from the core, not from the spoke to the core. But if we take one spoke out and separate it from the influence of God, then our whole world is become weakened. 
Because a spoke missing on a wheel makes that wheel weak. And what happens sometimes is we don't do this intentionally, but we remove it from the core and then begin to take responsibility for it ourselves without any influence from the hub on how to handle it. And that's what happens to us. We pull away from the core. Or worse yet, this is even more damaging and more dangerous when we make God nothing more than a spoke when we make him just a piece of our world. See, the difference is we need him to be primary, not priority, because priority means he's just the first. But then when we get down to the third and fourth thing, we've forgotten all about him. When we call God primary, it means he has a piece in every part of our life. So we have to ask ourselves, how much liberty does God have in every area of my life to lead me and direct me? Is he able to lead me concerning my kids? Or is it, well, I raised my kids this way because that's the way mom raised me. Or that's the way grandpa did it. Or that's the way grandma did it. Or we can do the opposite. My mom never did this for me, so I'm going to do it for you. It can be either or. But either way, there's no influence from the core, the hub. Because what God wants us to get into the position is he has voice in everything of our life. And if we pull God out only as a spoke, then we have put ourselves as the core and everything has to rotate around us. And that way, if you don't do what I want to do, I don't like you no more. Because my core is about me. The center of my life is me. And it can't be that. We have to be God-centered. This is what the Magi were. They were God-centered. They allowed a sign in the heavens to lead and direct them, but they were willing to give their time, their energy, and their monies to be God-centered. The only way you don't have a broken world, a broken life, or a broken wheel is if you keep... God as the center. Be, and every spoke you remove and say, well, I don't need God's influence there. I can do this on my own. Every place you do that, you're breaking your world down. You're breaking your world down. And it will not be effective for carrying any weight. Amen? Hallelujah. So we have to focus on the fact of remaining God-centered and let God do the leading, God do the guiding, God do the bidding, God do the prompting. Because without him as the core, our life will not be able to turn right. Okay? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Turn with me to uh, uh, the book of Acts, chapter 17. Acts 17. And hallelujah. Acts 17 and verse 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, of course this is Paul talking to those in Athens here, uh, for we are also his offspring. So we know he's talking about the Lord. In context, what had happened, he's in Athens. He's noticing that everywhere he goes, there's idols everywhere. 
to the God of this, to the God of that, to the God of this. So he noticed there's an idol that says to the, to the God of the, un, or to the unknown God, pardon me, to the unknown God. Well, he thought, there's my end right there, praise God. So he took that and began to say, I come to you in the name of the unknown God, the one you don't know about. That's the one I represent. And of course, he begins to share on that. That was his end. That was his, uh, his point of contact as far as, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, as far as soul winning. Praise God, uh, uh, bringing in the gospel message. Amen. That's how he did it. Well, anyway, the point is this. He said this. He said, it's in him that we live and move and have our being. It's in him that we live. All right. Well, this word in him that we live, this particular word, let me get to it here. There it is. It means to, ex- to have life, experience life, to enjoy our life of enjoyment, pardon me, or the abundant life. Okay. So he's saying it's in him that we can experience and enjoy life. So this is what she was talking is about a life that you have. We all have a life. And I think the scripture refers to him as the wheel within a wheel. You know, and, you know, he is the core. Everything else moves and shifts. And at times you'll find certain things, maybe line up at the top. And that's what he begins to communicate with you about and talk to you about. But I'm I'm here to tell you, and Trudy was here to tell you today, that your life ain't worth spit. If God ain't the center. Because you're going to find that every part of this gets out of whack. All right? If, if God ain't the center of your marriage, we're going to have issues. If God ain't the center of your family, we're going to have issues. If God isn't the center of your finance, we're going to have issues. If God isn't the center of your future and legacy, retirement, all that kind of stuff, you're going to, have, you're going to, you're going to come up short. It's just the facts. That's how it works. See, it's in Him that we live. It's in Him that we have life. It's in Him that we have that abundant life, to enjoy life, praise God. It works when He's involved. Amen. If He's not involved, what happens is you find yourself working to try to make it work, doing everything in your own strength and your own ability. And you know as well as I do that when you start working on one, you're going to forget about the rest of them for a bit. Because in your life, you can only handle about one or two spokes at any given time. Come on, somebody without stressing out, freaking out, and blowing up. I know it's none of you in here. It was all them early service people, but just bear with me. But anyway, the point is this. Amen. That's how it works. But when God is the center, He takes care of everything. Everything, and everything stays in balance. Everything works, praise God. Amen. When one of these things gets out of whack, and as Trudy said, you bring a, take a spoke out, amen, guess what? Pretty soon it starts getting a little bit out of whack. Everything gets off balance. Amen. I used a little illustration earlier uh, that uh, when I was a, a teenager, I, you know, had a car, and I like I like shiny things, so I like chrome. I think it's the best color of all. But anyway, black and chrome. But anyway, the point is this. Amen. I bought me a set of wheels from a guy that had wrecked his Trans Am, and I liked his wheels. They were Krager wheels, and I enjoyed that at the time. That was the wheel to have. And I went and bought spoke. I uh, went and bought uh, center hub, the knockoff center hub. So this baby boy, they look good. The spinners, you know, just the cool look, you know, everything's sweet, you know. And I bought that, put that on my car and boy, it looked good. I mean, whew, sweet. Until I started driving. As soon as I started going down the road, I noticed everything started, had a shimmy in it. And the faster I went, the worse it got. 
Anybody have a life like that once in a while? The faster it gets, the more you got going on, the more the worse shakier it gets. The more well, well, come to find out the wheels got one or two of the wheels got bent in that accident. And so I had to replace those and to get that gone. But the point is this: sometimes that's how our life is. If God ain't the center, then what happens little by little, you're trying to keep everything moving at the same time, and all that's going to happen is everything's just going to get out of balance. The next thing you know, you're putting more emphasis on this part instead of this part. Next thing you know, this is falling apart because uh, you have no God in the middle of it. Come on now. Listen, we always, we always have ideas of how everything should work. And it's not even saying that you're all wrong. But sometimes you have to understand that when we have an idea, we think this is how family should be, or this is how finance should be, or this is how the future should be, or this is how my retirement should be. Come on now, this is how church time should be. Come on. And if God is in the center of that, I guarantee you somewhere along the line, you're doing something wrong. You're trying to carry it yourself, and you can't do it. you got to have everything in its place, and you got to have Him as the core. Amen. It says, in him we live, in him we move. And that word literally means to be stirred, to move forward. Praise God. It refers to entice with motivation or give and drive. Amen. So anytime you're in God, if God's the core, if it's in him, guess what? You're always going to have the energy. You're always going to have the motivation. You're always going to have the drive to keep moving. Listen, if you're lacking drive, hello, that's a sign. Listen, I understand being tired. Come on now. I understand being tired. But most of the time, it's not because you just lack a little sleep. Most of the time, it's because we're carrying more than we should be carrying or trying to carry what we shouldn't be carrying at all. Come on now. Are you with me? So what happens is we're going along in life, and we're not, we lose our drive. We lose our motivation. We lose it. Come on now. How does that happen? He's not the center. Are you with me, or did I lose you? All right. He's your, he, in Him we live, in Him we move, and in Him we have our being. That word being here, or have our being, literally means purpose of being, or reason for existence, literally means aimed for accomplishment. I like that, aimed for accomplishment. So in Him, amen, we lay hold of that for which He also has laid hold of us. In other words, you start coming into your purpose, start coming into your calling. All these kind of things start making sense. Amen. It all starts making sense. Pretty soon, how you do family, how you do church, how you do life, how you do business, how you do finance, we can get on and on and on. Amen. Starts making sense, starts working. Who you are begins to come to the forefront. You begin to walk in your true identity. Sometimes that's what we lack. If he's not the core and the center, we lack who we are in Christ. And what, instead, what we did is we take on who we, who we are as the son of or as the grandchild of, or as the uncle of, or as the friend of. It's based on what everybody else has made you to be. If he is not the core, then you, you probably haven't tapped your true identity. When you tap true identity and who you are in Christ, remember, in him, this all starts working. And it keeps a right balance. Still with me? Go with me, if you will, to, um, let's go to uh, Mark chapter 12, and I'll use a kind of a common text. Hallelujah. Didn't Trudy do good? She's amazing. She's one of my favorite preachers. She is. Praise God. She asked me one time, if I wasn't your wife, would you come and listen to me? I had to think a while. No, no, no. 
I told her, absolutely, praise God. She absolutely is one of my favorites. Hallelujah. And don't you like her ideas, her little creative props? Amen. I'm more animated, but she's a prop gal. Yeah. Somebody came up to us earlier and says, you know, you do all right, preacher, but boy, when she does those props, it just makes sense. I thought, thanks, I think. Hallelujah. All right, here's a common text, right? Verse 28 says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, uh, he asked him, saying this, Which is the first commandment of all, or the foremost commandment? Jesus said this, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. Everybody say, The Lord is one. And when you sh and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And of course, the second, like it, is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love God, love people. Right? Come on. There is no other commandment greater than these. In fact, one translate or one of the gospels, pardon me, says this: that all the law and prophets hangs on these two these two commandments right here. Everything hangs on these two right here. All right. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, uh, for there is what? One God. Amen. Everybody say, One God. One God, and there is no other but He. Right? He's the core. And uh, to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one, one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifice. In other words, praise God, if you get these down, you ain't never going to have to offer up sacrifice. Because this is what it's referring to is atonement for sin. So in other words, you're, you're going to make less mistakes if he's the core. If you got these things in order, you'll make less mistakes. Come on, a lot of people spend their time going from one moment of repentance to another moment of repentance. You go into prayer and the first thing you do is you have to repent for everything you did earlier. Or everything I did yesterday. Come on now. I know it's, again, none of you, but just bear with me. Amen. Come on, right? This happens. Pretty soon we think, yeah, I did this wrong. I ain't doing this right. Oh, I got to, uh, again, I lost my cool again there. And, oh, uh, I ran my mouth over here. And, oh, uh, this thing happened here. Why am I so down with these people? Why do I hate people? Oh, my God. I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry. See, there's not going to be a need for having to repent all the time. Offer up offerings and sacrifices. Why? Because he's already the core. Come on now. Now, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But, of course, after that, no one dared question him. That's pretty, pretty top notch. But let's go back up here. Verse 29, it says this, for the Lord is one. Everybody say is one. Hallelujah. The word means first or alone only. Every primary is the word. It means primary. First in significance, first in importance, it is primary. Not just priority, as Trudy brought out, but primary. What primary means is first in everything. Not just first on the list, but first in everything. In other words, the center, the core. Everything comes off the core, off the center. 
how you do marriage, how you do family, how you do business, how you do family, or I mean uh, finance, how you do church, how you, everything's got to come off the core. What else was there? There was uh, entertainment, work, uh, health, future, legacy, all these desires and dreams, goals. If it comes off the core of the center, it works. Amen. Otherwise, everything gets off balance. The first, amen. So it says this, primary. So he says, the Lord God is one. That's where it starts. And, verse 30, and, everybody say and. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all, in other words, with everything. And of course, most of the time I pull that text up, I'm going to define every one of those things, and I've done it many times, and most of you have been in my sermons that have done that. The point is this, in every area of your life, with your strength, your mind, your imagination, your thought life, come on somebody, right, with your heart, the core, seat of control, all this, everything. But you notice the only way that's going to work is if he's one. He's one. Otherwise, it's going to be pretty limited in that. You'll, you'll, make, you'll, you'll pick and choose. In fact, give me that. Let's use her little prop. Sometimes what ends up happening is it's, it becomes this, where God just, you know, well, you know, I go to church once in a while. Well, that's, that's not what it's referring to. Don't just take God as, as a spoke. Come on. He's got to be the core. He's got to be a part of everything. Don't just make him a piece of your life. And really, that becomes really, if you really stop and think about it, that's the challenge of the church. That's the challenge of the body of Christ. Is not just making God just a piece. God has to have influence in all these areas if they're going to work. God's not against any of these things. God's not against you having good health or finance or a future, goals and dreams. In fact, most of the time when you seek God, He gives you all them things. He shows you how to do it. He'll show you how to have a good goal and a good dream. Come on, a future. He'll show you how to, how to set things up for retirement. That God, yeah, God gets involved in all that. How you run your finance, how you do health. Uh, your health, most of the things in my life over the years, um, it, it came down to hearing God when I had certain health issues because you try to do it like everybody else and some reason it wouldn't quite work the same. Nothing wrong with any of the, you know, all those plans, but how many know you can have a thousand different kind of diets out there? And by the way, a diet don't work unless you work it. Just thought I'd say that. <clears throat> you can have all kinds of exercise programs. But how many know it's only going to work if you work it? But I found this, and many of you too have done the same. You find what works for you by hearing from heaven. God told you exactly how to do it, exactly how to, how to this, how to that, how to eat. Have you ever had God say, no, you don't need two McRibs? <laughs> I just thought that was standard. You pull up there, two McRibs. Okay, anyway. Sometimes the Spirit of God says, I don't think you need that today. Okay. God will help you with every bit of it. Help you with your health, business. Come on, right? Still with me? Praise God. Hallelujah. 
Let's, uh, let's go uh, to one more text, and I'll let you go here. So we're going to go to 2 Timothy, last text for today. Are you still got an ear to hear? All right, 2 Timothy, chapter 3, please. <clears throat> so the thing, everything works if he's one, if he's primary. It all works. Amen. You know, if, uh, if he's primary, um, you ever notice how, um, if you don't watch it, your feelings and emotions get involved with things. Right? So you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, everything. But you know, your feelings, uh, your, your feelings will run you. Your emotions will run you. But if he's primary, God can talk to you about keeping your emotions in check. Come on. Now, I'm an emotional person. That didn't sound right. But anyway, I, I mean... And, you know, I could be, you know, intense about everything I do. And the Spirit of God, if it wasn't for the Spirit of God, I probably would have burned out a long time ago. Okay. So no matter what, good, you know, whatever, just even just doing ministry, doing everything. But if it wasn't for the Spirit of God as the core, I would have burned out a long time ago. But it's learning how to let God lead in every decision you make. And different things, and and when it came time to about things that I'm very emotional about, very I got a lot of emotion about. Amen. The Spirit of God showed me how to keep all that in check. Amen. So you don't do something stupid. Maybe I'm the only one that has to deal with that, but probably not. The point is this: if He's the center, keeps everything balanced, everything like it should. Last text, here we go. But know this, verse 1. And in the last days, perilous times will come. How many know they're there? Literally means times of pressure. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, obedient, or pardon me, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. A lot of uns, right? Slanderers, uh, without self-control, brutal. There's a lot of... Uh, a lot of words you don't write home about. And they, this probably ain't no refrigerator verse, right? Uh, despisers of good, traitors, it means betrayal or, uh, you know, covenant or truce breakers. Here we go. Headstrong, okay? Uh, you know, it's hard to lead. That's what that kind of means. Uh, haughty, self-centered, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Because we see a lot of that. But we shouldn't see that in the church, though. But remember, this is written to the church. So the possibility of this happening in the church is there. That people be a lover of all the other things. And how does that happen? We, we forget who's the core. See, but if you're a lover of God, God puts everything in perspective and everything in balance, right? But he says having a form of godliness, religiousness, come on now, that's what it means, but denying its power from such people turn away. Now, how, how do you get to a place where you're just having a form of godliness but denying its power? He's not the core. He's not the center. So I encourage you today, especially in the hour that we're in, keep Him as the center. Keep Him as primary. Anytime you begin to deal with anything in your life, instead of first running to take care of everything in your own strength, 
Go to Him. Get a witness. Get insight. Get help. Get strength from Him. Amen. One of the things that's, uh, I didn't say this in the first service, but I'm going to say it here, is one of the things that's probably going to happen over the next length of time here is I'm seeing, at least for our future here in this ministry, as far as what's going to happen from behind this pulpit, amen, we're going to talk about the Godhead. We're going to talk about, amen, the importance of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in our lives. Amen. But it all starts with the Father. Amen. And if we have that in check and balance, everything else works. And so our heart really today is to show you, praise God, God ain't trying to take away your life. I've heard many people say, well, you go to church and you lose everything. Can't do this, can't do that. Come on, you missed it. Somewhere along, somebody told you a lie. The best life you could ever have is a life in God. Every area of your life works. When family is working, it's a wonderful thing. When business and finance, all that stuff is working, it's a wonderful thing. Amen. When your health is working like, it's a wonderful thing. How does all that happen? Keep Him as the core. Keep Him as the center. Did you get something today? Give the Lord a praise. Come on. Watch y'all stand up. Praise God. Let me pray over you. Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we give praise and glory once again for your word. And thank you, Lord, for the uh, things that we saw today and heard today. Thank you that we had an ear to hear and a heart to receive. Thank you, Lord, for a people, Lord, that maybe even allowed us to open the eyes of their understanding, to see things maybe in a different light, make some things a little clearer maybe. And Father, we're thankful for that. Lord, forgive us for the times that maybe we, we were just trying to lead things ourselves, or maybe we just you know, took everything into our own, our own abilities and strength. And maybe we just were not allowing you to be primary in that area of our life. Forgive us for that. We know that you're faithful and just to forgive. And we receive that and thank you for that. Lord, it's our heart to go from here, praise God, every day. Look to you, lean on you in every area of our life. To let you lead us, influence us. Amen. Empower us to do all and to be all that we're truly called to do and be. And Father, I give you praise. Hallelujah. For a people of God. Lord, I believe in this room, even right now, maybe even those listening or watching, praise God. Hallelujah. They're called to be a part of the remnant. The remnant of God. Hallelujah. And one of those keys that makes them the part of the remnant is making you first making you primary. And I believe with all my heart, praise God, this is a people, hallelujah, seeing you as primary in their life. And for that, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Give the Lord a praise, somebody. Praise God, hallelujah. Well, look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you love the Lord with all your heart. Praise God. And you are dismissed. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WO Victory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Word of Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wovictory.org. See you there.